Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Jason Bell. Jason is currently the minor league field coordinator for the Houston Astros. Um, if you're a coach and you want to expand your player's development and, and not just focus just on hitting or just on pitching, and you want to be able to help them out on the infield and the outfield, this is going to be a great episode for you. If you're a player and maybe you have an idea of what you're working on at the plate or maybe you're even on the mound for that matter and you're trying to become a two-way player at the next level and you want to be able to, to work on your defense, this is going to be a great episode for you as well because Jason gives some great examples, some great ways to be able to um, develop on the defensive side and he, and he goes goes over exactly what that is in this episode. We talk infield, outfield. Jason was actually a minor league manager before he became the field coordinator. So he brings to the table um, a great deal of experience, really bright guy. Jason thinks outside the box when it comes to player development, which I love. Um, He's not someone who played a ton of years in the big leagues. So it seems like he's really had to dig, scratch, crawl, whatever the word you want to use to become really good at his job and kind of move up the the ranks in the baseball world, which he has done. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is my guest today, Jason Bell. All right, we now welcome on Jason Bell, who is the field coordinator, uh, minor league field coordinator for the Houston Astros. Jason, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm actually uh, curious, and I know a lot of um, our other listeners are going to be curious too, like what exactly does a field coordinator mean? Like what exactly do you do? Uh, I think it might be a little bit different in, in our organization than than most. So uh, we don't have an infield, outfield, base running, or uh, like D- Dominican overall academy coordinator. So uh, I kind of take – under those um, kind of things under my wing as well. Um, so it's awesome because I get, I get to be involved in a little bit of everything. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, great opportunity for me to kind of learn and grow and, and develop myself while also developing our, our staff and players. So you have a, just a, you have a bunch of jobs. Yes. <laughs> Is there a particular area of defense that you like more than other, like infield over outfield or anything like that? Uh, it kind of depends. I, I honestly probably enjoy learning the most about infield, um, but it, it kind of depends on the day. So, sometimes uh, I, I kind of get down a little rabbit hole with maybe outfield or base running, and then um, it, it kind of excites me to to see some of the things that we've discovered that that we feel can um, you know really increase our our development in those areas. Well, you've had a, a lot of different experiences, and I know you were even a manager at one time. What what was that experience like as a as a manager? Because I think that's just really unique, and not a lot of people get to experience that. Yeah, it was it was honestly uh, an incredible experience, and I think first and foremost, I was really lucky with a, a really good staff around me and, and really good, talented, open minded players. Um, I would say that that year was probably the most that I grew as a person um, of any of the years that I can remember. Uh, I think first and foremost, I I realized like, you know, I didn't play professional baseball. So when you get into a position like that, you start to think like, 
you know, how should I, how would so-and-so do this? How, how would so-and-so do that? But always being a constant reminder to be yourself. And, you know, I, I'll never be able to make up for the fact that I didn't play professional baseball. Um, but I think more than anything, being myself is a good start. And um, like, I, I think that's such a unique level to coach in uh, the New York Penn League and at Tri-City, mainly because of the element of the season. So, you know, you have a bunch of guys coming in from different perspectives. Some guys coming from the the GCL that you know have never played a night game before, have never played in front of fans. You have you know some some guys who have never come or who had just got drafted, who you know have been in professional baseball for you know three days and they're they're about to play their first game. You know, or or some guys that have you know were were drafted at a high school and it's their you know first time playing you know uh, at an affiliate. So. Um, I think sometimes as, as coaches, we want to be stern and we want to show that we're superior to the players. But in reality, I think it's really about comfort. And so for all those elements that I, that I listed of the players coming from, from different places and different backgrounds, it was important for me to actually make them feel really comfort, comfortable on, on an individual basis. Uh, just because for them to produce their best abilities – at a quicker rate, I needed to make sure that, that they were comfortable in their situations. And um, it, it really helped me build relationships faster that way, rather than being the superior guy who kind of, you know, is, is more distant. But I think part of that too, is that that's my personality. So going back to my first point, being myself, I, I, I feel like that was uh, something that kind of, kind of really helped, helped me. Mm, that's awesome to hear you say that and just, you know, caring about the players first, like you said, making them feel comfortable. Um, who did you lean on, I guess, as a especially as, as a first-year manager, ne- having never managed um, or played professional baseball? Uh, was there someone you went to for advice? You know, I'm, I'm just, like, throwing out different um, scenarios where, like, you know, the team plays bad, right? I mean, do you go in the locker room to start throwing chairs around? Or, like, what? how did you know what to do? Uh, honestly, I had a lot of good good mentors in my in my corner. And, and that year, our field coordinator was Josh Bonifay, who, who is now the farm director of the Phillies. And he honestly helped me a ton and, and, and really helped me feel comfortable in, um, you know, growing as a, as a coach. And the, the awesome thing is him and I are, are very different from each other, but it, it's been, it's been a great relationship because we could always, could always take from each other. So he would always explain to me how, how he, he thought it should be handled, but always gave me the freedom to, to handle it. And, and the, and the way that I felt best, um, you know, and we have Pete Patilla at the time was our farm director, who's, not, who's now our um, assistant general manager. And, you know, he, he always is available to offer great advice and, and great leadership um, from my time with the Astros. And so it's it's it, it was awesome to lean on on those guys the most during the season, communicating with them regularly, you know, every day and. Honestly, leaning on my, my staff and asking, you know, our pitching, hitting coaches and strength coaches, trainers, like kind of what their thoughts were in, in certain areas and, and what their advice and feedback were on, on how I should handle certain situations. Since you were the manager, if you see something going on with a player, uh, maybe you see like their swings a little bit off or, you know, a pitcher is doing something on the mound. Is it kind of the chain of command thing where you go to your pitching coach, your hitting coach, and you have them go do it? Or would you just go and talk to them um, right when you saw it? 
Uh, honestly, for me, I, I leaned more on on the pitching and hitting coaches from from the get go in, in those specific areas, you know, because uh, like I feel like the the manager is just the glue to kind of hold it together, and I think the um, you know I think the hitting coach it's his job to really dive in on the hitters, and you know I don't want to necessarily step on his toes and, and jump in on something, but I want to be of support for whatever he sees. So maybe, maybe it would generate um, discussion or so, but I was really fortunate, you know, uh, Jeremy Barnes was the, the hitting coach that year, who is now our, uh, our hitting coordinator. So um, it, it was really easy for, for me in that sense. And, you know, Eric Abreu was our pitching coach, who's also, also very good. So uh, I, I always felt like, uh, you know, I've been, been really lucky with, with, with the Astros that we have such such great staff members around that, you know, I didn't feel like I had to go, um, you know, over the top to, to like, kind of, kind of get something, something done. So um, I, I think that that, that was something that really helped me as a manager. One of the, one of the things um, that I get a lot of times are different, you know, infield drills and even like sometimes outfield drills. And I think it's, it's kind of tough because, you know, um, there's no metric in a sense to really know. I mean, I guess you could say like errors, um, especially at the high school and college levels and things like that, but to really know, like if someone's improving consistently defensively, but for the sake of just time, um, what drills do you like having infielders do, or what drills would you recommend that, um, high school and college teams, uh, implement, um, with their, let's just start off first with infielders. No, I think it kind of depends. So, one thing that I try to focus on a lot with the scheduling aspects is getting as much one-on-one or two-on-one time as possible, because I think everybody needs so many different things that like, if, if we just have everybody do the same type of drill, it makes it, um, you know, maybe less productive as a whole. Now I know obviously there's certain times where you're going to have the entire defense out there at once when you're doing a drill, but I like to kind of view it from a, a different, a couple of different uh, viewpoints. So like, for example, early work, you know, one-on-one, two-on-one type of thing would be more internal. So you're, you're focusing on specific movements or whatever the, the, the pattern is that, that you want. Um, then more in the, uh, you know, team mass ground ball setting, it's, you know, internal and external. So they're kind of thinking about, you know, the things that you worked on in the, in the morning from, from an internal standpoint, but they're also now externally, you know, working on the drill that, that you have. And then I would say, you know, BP reads or the game, it's more of, um, you know, completely external where, you know, they're, they're practicing like, like it's a game because, you know, for the game it, it is. And um, so I think breaking it down into those elements, I think really helps, you know, the, the growth happen quicker. Um, but I think the hardest part is, you know, in a one-on-one, two-on-one setting, you have the guys working internally, but then all of a sudden their, their friends are around and there's a lot more amounts of players. All of a sudden there's, you know, eight to 10 infielders and you're kind of wondering, you're like, man, is that guy really focusing internally on what we, we talked about? So I think the, the value of communication comes into play there because you can kind of hit it on the front end or the back end. So one thing that I'll do uh, with my, with my group, uh, you know, before we, we maybe do ground balls is, will go around and they'll all say one thing internally that they're going to be focusing on during this, um, during the segment, because a lot of times if it was an hour earlier or it was two days before, it's like, we can't assume that they're going to remember or, um, you know, go with it. So basically I like to do that to hit it on the front end. So it kind of is a reminder and it's kind of a 
um, you know, checking for understanding if they actually even remember what they should be focused on internally. And, and if they don't, kind of just helping them um, get to the answer so that that um, segment of time can be um, maximized. So if possible, you would, you would recommend getting those guys into small groups and just individualizing kind of um, what they need to work on. Yes. And then when you have a mass group, them still focusing on those individual needs, even if it's the same, you know, same setting. So mm. that way each guy has their own focus, even when the drill is the same. I like that. So uh, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. You you break it down into, you know, kind of individualize and then you send them off in the group setting and it's still in a sense individualized because they're all working on what you already worked on one-on-one or, you know, two-on-one. Right. Exactly. Perfect. Love that. Um, what would you say for, you know, I think the outfielders, um, it, that can be tough at times for, um, you know, amateur baseball, you know, getting better, developing, what would you, I mean, is it good, good to be creative with the outfielders or is it best to just, you know, during BP, they're just shagging it and, and going hard. And that's what, that's the best way they're going to develop. I think for really any position, it's kind of a combination. I would say for outfielders or, are pretty pretty much um, you know infielders as well as the the live BP reads are the most realistic so it then becomes the most important and so I think um, just your strategy on what you're trying to work on uh, can can really come into play there so if you're doing live reads with an outfielder um, do you really need him to sprint after that ball uh, the full way? Or, or do you really care more about the reps of the first step? And so, you know, he, he does hard first couple steps and then, you know, he's getting ready to load for the next pitch and he's kind of seeing where that one landed just to see if he was accurate. Because, you know, it takes so much time to run after the ball when if we're not really worried about him actually catching it and you're really only worried about, you know, maybe the first step, it's probably better off like producing more reps total if you don't have them chase after the ball or, you know, maybe one out of every five he chases after it, or maybe the end of, you know, that person's BP round, the last, the last swing, you know, he's going to play it live. And the, the other ones, he's just going to react um, in whatever direction it's hit at. Um, I would say one thing that I think is overlooked for, for outfielders in, in live BP reads or just swings in general is, uh, Anytime there's a swing, it's, it could be a foul ball. You could be playing right field and it's, um, you know, a ground ball down the third base line. I think especially in that setting, just reacting in, in that direction. And I think what you can see as a coach in that standpoint is the, the, you know, the details of what his first step was like, all those different aspects, just based solely on his reaction on a ball that wasn't even hit near him. So I really like that from from that perspective. Um, I always like doing things creatively, but it's always important to reflect on yourself just to think like, was that being creative just for the sake of it? Or was there actually value in that creativity? Um, because I think sometimes we can, we can go over the top with it and there's, it's a lot less realistic or there's really not that much that we're really gaining from it. So I think as a coach, you always have to, you know, have the awareness and the accountability um, with with those things, so that you're you're actually giving the players what they need the most. Mm. 
Great point about just doing something just for the sake of of doing it or it looking cool. Um, let's let's have a scenario where you know you don't have a scouting report on the on the hitters that you're facing that day. Like a lot of you know high school and sometimes even college um, teams don't. Um, where would you line up your outfielders? Because I've heard before is like more confident out like outfielders play shallow and you want them to play more shallow because most of the balls you know that are hit or flares are going to be shallow and it's also kind of harder to to know you know you kind of freeze at first and then go in versus if you start in and a ball sit over your head like boom you know it right away um what would you recommend on like where you would kind of start the outfielders uh, i think it kind of depends on the specific player for example if a, if a player really struggles going back or going in on balls um i think that you you have to play that into account so you can't really standardize all of it i think you know, the ballpark plays into account too. Is it shallow? Is it deep? Um, you know, what's the wind like that day? Um, all sorts of different different elements. Like even the count, um, you know, you can, you can count adjust even. Um, so I think it kind of depends on the type of hitter that's hitting. Um, you know, what kind of his swing looks like, you know, the ballpark elements and what the strengths and weaknesses are of that specific, you know, defender. Um, I think then you can kind of kind of play off that. So it's, it's less of, you know, a standard, you know, stand here. And it's more of, you know, you really having to have an understanding of, of your outfielder strengths and weaknesses before you kind of, kind of just choose where he should stand. Are you a fan of outfielders? Um, if when they get to a new park, like taking a ball out to the wall and like throwing it against the wall and just seeing how it bounces off of it? Yeah, I think all sorts of, um, you know, all sorts of those elements. I think one thing that's kind of underlooked is, you know, what the grass plays like, you know, it, you know, is it thick? Is it short? Does the ball snake? Um, all sorts of different elements because, um, you know, two thirds of the balls that outfielders touch are actually ground balls and it is to take fly balls and, and it may not be as fun to take ground balls. It's, thing that you're gonna you're gonna need the most and it's the the air that happens the most is, is on the ground ball so with those elements i always encourage people to uh you know really take a lot of a lot of reads on you know ground balls and in, in those settings and, and not just the outfield wall or the sun or the wind but but really taking the the grass into account as well yeah I've seen, i think i've actually seen some people do that would it would that work best if you actually just hit like regular ground balls like to the outfielders if you had a bunch of them at one time or would you think like they'd be in their position and then you hit them their ground the ground ball uh either way i think it kind of depends on what your your field usage time is and you know maybe if it was a long trip there um it kind of just depends on on the elements but I would say one one thing that I encourage is just spicing up the, the, the types of ground balls. I think sometimes we, we value a, a fungal hitter who's really uh, repetitive and, and good at hitting the same type of ground ball when sometimes even the mess of ground balls are actually, you know, realistic in the sense of them having to read the, read the barrel and, and what happened and read, you know, the grass and the spin and, and the direction that it's coming. Um, so I would just encourage like different types of ground balls rather than just hitting them at them to the side, to the backhand, but, you know, trying to get some with top spin, trying to get some that are flares, trying to get some that are, are hard hit at them and, and uh, really, really spice it up. Um, I think definitely the first game of the series, you know, before that game, I, I think it's an, important um, just to get comfortable with those elements. Are you a fan of using machines, um, especially like let's just say it's uh, you know double down the right field line? 
Um, and you know, you're going to have that kind of side spin. Would you take a hack attack out there and put that spin on it to kind of, uh, resemble that? If you can, um, it kind of depends what maybe your, your practice needs. And, um, you know, if, if you only have one machine and it's going to be used better for infielders that day, and you feel like you can get the quality work with outfield, uh, with the fungo, then, then kind of balancing it, you know, with, with the staff that way. Um, there is definitely a lot of value in, in using the machine. What I like to do is have some type of blend. So, you know, if you are using the machine and, and you're just kind of reading the spin and the direction and all that, kind of blending it with also a, a fungo at the same time so that you don't get locked in totally to one or the other. Because I don't necessarily think that fungo fly balls are all that realistic, but there is some element to reading a ball off the bat. Um, and so I think if you can blend it with the machine that you can manipulate the proper spin, you can then get, um, you know, maybe a, a good combination of, of results. What about a side toss fun though, similar to like what infielders do? Um, would that, would that change the spin at all? Yeah. I, I think that that's probably my favorite thing to do. If you have enough coaches, um, I would say when I was managing, we just had the the hitting coach, pitching coach, and myself. We we didn't have a development coach, so I had to get creative, um, you know, because if I had you know one guy hitting with the outfielders and I was with the infielders, we we didn't have that luxury of doing it that way. So that's where the machine came in to to help us out a lot. But um, I think I think if you have enough coaches, I think that that's the best fungal practice you could possibly have is you know, the soft toss and honestly, sometimes not even hitting it and just kind of kind of reading what their, um, you know, pre-pitch was like and, uh, you know, all sorts of different elements um, within that. Another tough thing that I think is, it's just tough, like no, no way around it is, is playing the sun. Do you have any tips on uh, ways to play the sun? Uh, it, it's kind of tough. I, I think for me, first getting to the side of the of the sun as, as best you can. So if you're standing right in the sun with when the balls, when the ball's in it, not just standing there trying to fight it, but getting to the side in one direction or the other to, to get it. But I think the best practice is actually just to hit sun balls. So, um, <clears throat> you know, find an area where the sun's the worst. And like, even if that's something where, you know, you have the fielder facing in the wrong direction or, or whatever it is, but just to get guys comfortable because, no matter what strategy you really describe with the sun ball, I think it's really one of those things where you really have to experience yourself in, uh, you know, it's real setting where it's, uh, you know, can be really quality. So I think, you know, if you have that luxury where your field has a lot of sun that, that you can replicate it is, is obviously great, but um, it, it could be used for a day where you've, you've maybe, you know, beat the guys into the ground a lot and they've had a lot of running and you, you want to have some productivity, but you don't want to wear them out uh, physically. So that's always a, a drill that, um, you know, has obviously a ton of value uh, without like crushing them, uh, cr crushing their energy levels. That's a good idea about uh, sun, specifically just hitting sun balls. Have you ever heard of, um, you know, one of the things that I was taught is you would take your glove and a lot of times, you know, you would put it up against the sun. So the gloves wide, but putting it more so it's more straight on vertical and it will still cover the entire sun, but now you get to see more space around it. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. I mean, I've heard, I've heard some of those elements, but I think whichever way you look at it, if you're looking directly in the sun, you're really kind of covering your eyes in that standpoint too. So that's where like, I always really like the focus to be getting to the, getting to the side 
Um, that way you can actually give a lane to see it. So you're not looking directly in the sun, which obviously depending on how hard the ball is hit, if it's a low liner, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of in, in tough luck right there. But um, I think if it's a, a um, you know, a regular fly ball or so, I think really the focus should be more on trying, trying your best you can to get to the side so that whatever, whatever, you know, element you want to use with your glove, you're actually giving your eyes a lane to see the ball. So my, my idea is bad, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I, I think it, it makes sense, but I just think that there's there's also other elements to, to consider with it. Yeah, no, I, I, I trust me, I definitely agree with that. It was just something that I had heard before and, and um, you know, thought it was kind of interesting. Now, what do you what's your take on, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff you see online is game speed, game speed especially specifically for an infielder standpoint, right? You want to slow the game down, right? Even, I mean, let's just even get into hitting. Like you always want, you hit best when everything, you know, you slow the game down, you're nice and relaxed versus when everything's sped up. Question is, is if we always practice at game speed, like how can we ever know how to slow the game down, if that makes sense? Well, I think there's a few elements to this. Um, It depends really what your goal is. So, one thing that I always try to try to do before the, the drill starts or when I'm designing a practice plan is like, what is my actual goal of this drill? Is my goal just to have it be realistic and just get reps? Um, am I trying to work on a technique? You know, because building skill there, there's, there's different elements to it, you know? So first you add the technique, you know, then you add speed, then you add variation and then, then you add chaos. Um, but if it's a, if you feel like you're, you're doing a drill where you're not necessarily trying to build um, their specific skill and you're just trying to make it game speed, then you kind of can kind of roll with, um, you know, whatever you feel is best. But um, to me, even in that setting, they still need to practice their pre-pitcher routine. They still need to add breathing into their, um, you know, into their, their, their prep, because even if it's game speed, you still have an element of slowing game speed down. And so with me, with, with me, my, my, you know, first recommendation would be still incorporating the, the breathing strategies and technique um, into that element. And I think a lot of times when people say game speed, they're just hitting rep after rep after rep at somebody. Uh, when to me, that's not actually game speed. Game speed would be something really fast for a short period of time. And then there's some time in between. And I think, um, you know, that gives them a, a chance to digest what just happened so that they can make the proper adjustments to the next rep. Um, it also gives them an actual chance to, to slow it down because if you have two or three or four outfielders and you're just hitting them ball after ball after ball really quick and not giving them a chance to, to really catch up with their most recent rep, um, I don't think that that's necessarily the best environment, uh, you know, for the guy to actually get better. But if it's something where you're just trying to give them reps, then then I can kind of understand where, where, where people – you know, lean in that, in that direction. Do you think that the, uh, using like a pancake glove or a, a really small glove uh, helps infielders at all? Um, I think it depends. Um, for me, I, I think that there are some some elements that's valuable with. I, I don't like to use it with every infielder because to me, that's it's not necessarily that realistic of a glove. And the glove itself is so unique. I want them to get really comfortable with something that they're going to use. But if you're trying to work on a specific skill within that or that particular player, then I think that him using that type of glove um, could, could be valuable. 
I think it's tough to uh, sometimes, you know, be able to know if an if an infielder or outfielder or whatever defensive uh, you know player position we're talking about is really like getting better with objective feedback. Um, what would you say to coaches out there? Like, do you think like charting different things would be would be helpful to know if someone's getting better, or because just not everyone's in the major leagues and has access to all that information. Like, even in the minor leagues, that's it can be tough. So, what advice would you give coaches out there who still want to know if their guys are getting better or not? Um, honestly, for me, I, I'm a big believer in, in the video aspects more than anything. Um, I, I think sometimes, depending on the amount of staff you have or, or such, like charting in in time can be difficult. Obviously, there's lots of ways around that. But I think you can actually chart if you have video setups. You can chart the following there. So, uh, But you can, uh, by, by setting up the right video feeds and, you know, and recording them and, and having like a good database with it, you can actually see the a lot of the improvements on the technique and, and, and different skills that you're trying to teach over the course of time. Uh, and if you want to create like um, charts and, and such, I think using um, the recorded video will help you because I think if you're only charting really in real time, there's a lot of biases that come into play uh, about that particular um, play. For example, if um, a shortstop makes a diving play, you're going to say like, you might say that his first step was great because emotionally you're on a high right there and you, and you feel like, you know, you saw it, but in reality, you were probably watching the ball and you never saw his first step. So maybe if you record the video and then you have a chart the next day, what you can see is like, man, that was like really good um, ending to the play, but maybe he could improve these areas of his first step um, that I didn't notice in real time. Right, like if you're working with that guy anyway, and you're kind of rooting for him, yeah, that I mean, I understand what you're saying that you might be a little bit more emotional about that. Now, you you talked a little bit about breathing, um, and I'm wondering, like, is that is there like a mental uh, game or trick aspect to uh, defensively, or something that you recommend to your players from the mental game to slow it down? Yeah, for for it, it depends on the specific player and and maybe what their needs are. But one like general way that we like to describe it is, you know, there's there's roughly like 17 seconds in between pitches or or so. Um, so for an outfielder, like we talk about giving them like a bubble, and then you know those 15 or so seconds are theirs um, to kind of kind of reframe their mind, start breathing, and they step out of the bubble. And then towards the end of that time, they can step back into the bubble and start to lock in a little bit more on, you know, all the other elements to that particular situation. Maybe it's a score, the out, the hitter, the count, you know, all different different things that could go on. So we like to talk about like having a bubble that they kind of step into and step out of, you know, between pitches and then reset their minds and, and incorporate their their breathing strategies within that Um so, so that way they can lock in because to me, I, I think of it kind of like free throws for a basketball. You know, it's if a guy has a hundred free throws, how many is he going to make, you know, on, on this element, if, you know, there's a hundred pitches or whatever, 150 pitches in a game, how many of those was he really that locked in for that he was anticipating the ball. And I think that's obviously tough to measure and tough to, um, you know, be honest about but i think that when you really break it down you're probably only getting a couple balls at max so 
it's it's probably one of the hardest things to do is stand 300 feet away by yourself and anticipate three out of you know 150 balls to come to your way uh, when in reality you have to change your your frame of mind that you know all 150 of those balls are going to come your way and how do you actually get your frame of mind to do that is you know you have to give yourself those mental breaks in between pitches because the whole course of the game will will take a toll on you and um, especially if your emotions are running high from your at bat from the previous inning or such. So uh, it, it's really important for, you know, each person to kind of have their own strategy. But that's, that's one of the ones that we probably have that's maybe most common with, with outfielders. Uh, speaking of outfielders, is there a, a pre-pitch hop or a pre-pitch um, movement that um, you, you like to teach your guys or, or is that individualized too? It's, it's really individualized. Um, you know, it's it's something that's kind of garnered a lot of interest, um, you know, over the years. But, yeah, I would say that that's that type of thing is, is very, um, you know, very individualized. And some of the guys come from different college programs that, you know, teach different things. And, and that may be something they're comfortable with. So I think a lot of times it's it's really about um, what's what's maybe most comfortable and what's most beneficial for, for each guy. Um, going back to infielders for a sec, I, I know for some it helps when they uh, pat their glove right before they throw. Um, do you recommend that to anybody? Because I know I've I've heard of people who have had the yips in the past that that's helped them kind of beat it, beat it. Um, so have you ever dealt with that? Um, I've never really dealt with with it from um, you know a, a, an infield throwing standpoint. Um, I, I do think that in some cases the the pat could help. Um, I think whatever is typically more natural for the guys, but I think that there's some elements where that pat can, can maybe speed the arm up and, um, you know, kind of get them in, into rhythm a little bit better. Um, so I think a lot of it, it kind of depends on the specific ball, the specific player, um, and a lot of the other elements um, for each guy, rather than kind of just having one standard approach to teaching it or not. So I think that that one's um, also really individualized you know, based on the person and, and the situation. Wouldn't it just be easier if everyone was the same? <laughs> I know, but then then they wouldn't need us, right? That's they right. I know. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have jobs at all. Um, awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate your time, uh, Jason. And I was wondering if you had, is there any, like, resources or, or um, anything out there, like books, um, anything that you recommend to coaches or, or parents who want to learn more about just defense in general? Um, I, I think really studying the way the body moves um, rather than just thinking about it from a standpoint of, you know, infielders or outfielders or trying to find specific drills, but really trying to trying to learn more about how the body moves and then creating your own drills within that. Um, I think that there's a lot of other uh, benefits to, to, to looking at it from that perspective as well, to where you can connect a lot of the good drills that, that people share um, with the way the body moves and, and you can kind of have it from, from different standpoints and different elements. Um, so, so that really, it kind of gives you different perspectives to, to really think about defensive development. Awesome, man. That's awesome. great advice. Uh, Jason, really appreciate you coming on, man. Awesome. Thank you again for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.